Now, let's be honest. At some point, whether we're kids or as we move into teens, we are going to need to grapple with that question. Is there really a God? And if there is a God, does that God even love me? Does he care about me? There are so many people in this world, they have no idea. And they do not know this God of the Bible. But this morning, church, we are going to talk about this amazing God of the Bible who loves us, who has a purpose, who invites us to have this relationship with him. And that is really going to be the focus of what I'm going to talk about this morning. Two weeks ago, uh, Zach hit, hit the ball out of the park and talking about the importance of obedience, but that this concept of obedience really seeks to force us to rely upon God. And so our obedience is birthed from trust. Our obedience is birthed from an intimacy. And it's not only birthed from an intimacy with God, but that it actually fosters intimacy with God. So Zach, you did a great job. Thank you, brother. Last week, Cole spoke on this concept of faith, drawing a contrast between King Saul and his son, Jonathan. Cole, you hit the ball out of the park, brother. Thank you so much. As these guys are tag teaming, my desire right now is to kind of pick up and and focus on something this morning concerning the Holy Spirit and our relationship with the Holy Spirit. But Cole was talking about this idea of Saul really being a fearful man and Jonathan being bold as a lion. And I want us to discover what is it that made Jonathan so bold? Obviously faith, but there was something in Jonathan's heart that was just so different than what was in his father's heart. As a matter of fact, what we see is a an alignment, a a comparison throughout the book of first Samuel with Jonathan, who is the crown prince, by the way, and David, who later becomes king. They make a covenant with one another. They're like blood brothers. They are close. They have a similar heart and it is vastly different than King Saul. Now I want to tell you something before we look into the passage and that we're going to be looking at first Samuel chapter 14, kind of piggybacking a little bit off of what Cole was sharing. Um, the, the people who authored first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, uh, ju- uh, judges, Joshua, Ruth, the, the books of history, they did not write these books Because they were historians. They wrote those books because they were prophets. Now I want you to think about that. Why would God call a prophet to write a book of history? Because here's what we need to realize. That when we read through something like a like 1 Samuel, God has an intention. God doesn't want to just talk about what happened in the past, but he wants to talk about it in a way that has intention. It has purpose. He's trying to teach us something. He's trying to not just teach us truths, but give us glimpses into these concepts like what we're talking about, the heart of Saul versus the heart of Jonathan and the heart of David. The the prophet who wrote 1 Samuel is being inspired by the Spirit to be able to create something to pass on to us that will challenge us and inspire us and give us hope to be able to follow after God the way he desires. So there is intention as he writes 1 Samuel. Now, we don't know who wrote First and Second Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, but we do know that they were prophets 
their hands were, as they wrote, wrote without error, and they wrote in a way to appeal and speak to our hearts. Now, one of the things that we need to realize that the intention of the author of 1 Samuel is trying to accomplish is that as you read through First and Second Samuel, you see the people of Israel setting in a king, King Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, grew up in Gibeah, and he was tall, he was strong, he, in the outward appearance, he was, he looked to be an amazing king, the perfect guy to be Israel's first king. But there's a problem here, because his heart wasn't completely after God. As a matter of fact, God had chosen a different king. Saul was the choice of the people. David was the choice of God. Saul, on the outward appearance, looked the part of a king. David, in his heart, was a king. And so what the author, one of the intentions of the author of 1 Samuel is, he has to show us why is it okay with God for someone like David, who is not the crown prince, to take the throne? Now, can you understand why some might step back and say, this looks like a conspiracy. This looks like some guy, some shepherd came along, got a name for himself, usurped the authority of the throne in order to take it. And so the author wants to show us why God had chosen David. That is so key. So he is going to show us the heart of Saul and show us the heart of David. Now, here's something that's amazing. Jonathan had a heart, at least as far as we can tell, that was similar to David's. But God had not called him. God had called David. And guess what? We read later in 1 Samuel, some apparently a prophetic word had come out that David was going to be the upcoming king. And Jonathan and David talk about this. And Jonathan comes to this conclusion. God has called you, David, to be the next king. And I'm okay with being second in command. What humility. Can you see his heart? Now, I want us to look now, as we, we dig in a little bit more, I want us to see a picture of King Saul's heart and then contrast it with Jonathan and David's and move into the New Testament because there's going to be a background question that I want us to ask that Cole actually brought up. And his question was, do we still use fleeces today? Now, a fleece, you might remember from the story of Gideon, he wasn't quite sure whether he should uh, pull the people together and attack the Midianites. And okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, then you remember the story. And I'm going to lay out this fleece. And a fleece is basically the sheepskin. And I'm going to lay it out, he says. And if the, the ground is wet and it's dry, then I know that that's what you want me to do. And so God did that. But he needed one more fleece. So he said, okay, God, this time make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And that's exactly what God did. We call that a fleece, kind of laying something before the Lord to discern what God's will is. And now, do we do that today? Something else that we learn about later in 1 Samuel 14 is the use of lots. Now, 
not the guy that, that ran away from Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the casting of lots. And if they cast lots, their goal was to discern the will of the Lord. Do we cast lots today? Now, actually, the answer to this is really crucial. Okay? So, but before we do that, I want us to peer into Saul's heart. And we're, to do that, I want us to start, you were there in 1 Samuel 14. I want us to look at, at verse 16, and we're going to read through verse 19. 16 through 19. Uh, tell you what, let me back up to 15. That, that's going to be important so you get the, the, the feel and the flow of this. You remember where, when Cole was preaching about Jonathan uh, attacking the garrison, and he and his armor bearer against 20, and he slaughtered all of them? This really produced a panic in the people, and then God steps in and kind of amplifies that panic. And we see this in verse 15. It says, Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties, the ground shook. And the ground shook. It was panic sent by God. God is in this. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, now Ahijah is the high priest at the time. He said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Verse 20, then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. And it goes on and it talks about how the Israelites that day defeated the Philistines. But the only reason why they were able to do this is because God was in the midst of it. You remember they were outmatched. <coughs> they had 3,000 and they had 3,000 and it was very possible that the Philistines had several times that as much as 10 or more times that. Can you imagine going into a battle outmatched like this? Cole brought up a beautiful point. They not only were outmatched, but they didn't have the weapons that the Philistines did. How would you like to be a Jew, an Israelite, in the camp ready to go into battle with those odds against you? Now, because Saul is such an outward-focused man in his relationship with God, he... He wants the Ark of the Covenant there in his midst. Now, the reason why he wants this is because the Ark of the Covenant to him means the presence of God. And so he desires the presence of God. He also asks the high priest to come, and the high priest had what was called an ephod. An ephod, the high priest's ephod, would be a, a, a linen type of outer garment with the breastplate. It's a gold breastplate about this big, had 12 stones in it, and two in particular at the top called the Urim and Thummim. Now, we're not exactly how, we're not exactly sure how this worked, but generally the high priest would probably put his hand on them and one would grow warm, that meant yes, and the other wouldn't. 
So it would be a yes or no. So the one inquiring through the Urim and Thummim would ask a very simple question that should be answered yes or no. David actually did this. But I want you to see what's going on here. He had the Ark of the Covenant, which was far away, but brought near, and now it was brought into the camp. He had the high priest with the Urim and Thummim. He's trying to seek God's will. And he begins to hear a tumult in the Philistine camp. And something begins to happen in his heart. He is trying to seek God, but now he hears this panic, this tumult. He doesn't know exactly what it is. He's heard that the Philistines are in confusion, and in his mind, he's thinking, right now is when I need to attack, not later. And so he basically says, I am not going to be seeking God anymore. I'm just going to jump into battle here. Now, there's so many different things that we could look at that would demonstrate that Saul, is his heart is not truly seeking after God. He wants easy answers. He wants easy answers. And I'm going to be honest with you. We can be like this ourselves. We want to pray and we want God to answer right away. God, what school do you want me to go to? Who do you want me to marry? What job do you want me to take? Should I take this promotion or should I not? Where do you do? Are we to buy a house? Are we to continue to rent? Where do you want us to? We want God to give us a simple answer. We want, as it were, to put our hand up here and just and get a yes or no response from God. We want to go through God's special drive-through, give him our order, and then within five minutes, we're out, we're done, we have our answer. I, I have actually had people come to me and they have asked, Pastor Mike, could you pray about this? Because I want to hear from God. And I've had to caution them. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pray for you, but my goal is not to hear from God for you. That is not my place. I'm not the holy man that God sent to be able to give you a word from the Lord. There is a place for prophetic words, church. And, and this is another topic, and I'm not going to get into it. But God does not call people to go to a prophet in our day to give them a word of direction. Because any time a word like that is given, it is always given as confirmation. You know what? If you were to get receive a prophetic word from someone that says, you're supposed to marry this person. And this has actually happened in our day. So I'm using an, a relevant example. You, you're supposed to marry this person. They many times feel obligated. Oh my goodness, I have to marry this person. I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm not attracted to them, but I guess I have to do that. That is not the place of prophecy. It never has been. As we move into the New Testament, understand this, as Martin Luther pointed out, the concept of the priesthood of all believers, we all have the Holy Spirit. That is key in what we're talking about this morning. Each and every single one of you who believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God wants to speak to your heart. He wants to lead you, and he's going to do it through countless ways. 
I've met people in which they, they, they're so focused, they always want a prophetic word from the Lord to know what to do. Or they always want a dream or a vision. God works through these ways, church. But he works in so many different ways. For us to pigeonhole him, that's where we are trying to be like a Saul. We want an easy answer. Our relationship with God many times can be superficial. We don't go deep. Now, can I just point something out, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I want you to see something over in chapter 14, right here in verse 35. I'm not going to get into the circumstances. He had a fast that uh, really was not wise, but he had a fast because, oh my goodness, if we fast... You, then God does things, right? God, God answers prayer and he treated fasting like a formula. He treated his, he treated these, all of these different things, these re- religious, outwardly religious things like a formula. If you do this, this, and this, then God does this. And relationships are f- so much more than this. It says right there in verse 35, it says, then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. I want to ask you, why did the prophet who wrote this include that? Yes, I mean, it is something that happened, but why did he include it? Saul had been king for at least 20 and probably 25 years. If you kind of do the background and the study and the figures and, and all this, about 20 to 25 years. And this is the first time that he built an altar Do you see the intention of the prophet here? He's wanting to tell us something. Saul, even though he had been king for that many years, did not pursue God in a way that other kings would. He didn't press in. His relationship was superficial. And so Saul had a tendency to want to See, as as Cole was pointing out, see from a worldly perspective. See with physical eyes. He walked by sight. And now as we move into the New Testament, we're challenged to walk by faith. I want us to grapple with this idea of walking by faith. It is easy for us as Christians to want quick answers from God to be able to get a prophetic word or a dream. And God uses these things. But as you go through the book of Acts, let's look at, at Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, they actually are trying to replace, find a replacement for Judas Iscariot. So what do they do? They've been praying 10 days. They cast lots. This is the last time that we, it is ever recorded that they cast lots, that anyone cast lots. And I'm going to assure you throughout the book of Acts, there were plenty of opportunities, decisions that needed to be made, and they chose not to cast lots. Why? If you were, that was chapter one when they cast lots. If you read just a few verses later, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit is poured out. Throughout the book of Acts, we now have men Women seeking after God, the church seeking after God for his will. The spirit of God is constantly leading them. In Acts 15, when the, during the Jerusalem council, they have to answer a very theological question concerning circumcision and now concerning the place of the law as they preach the gospel among the Gentiles. 
So what do we do? The leaders got together and they did not cast lots. They did not uh, do anything like that. Instead, it, they, they came to a conclusion and this is their conclusion. It seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to us and to the Holy, and they laid out some guidelines. They had to pray. They had to seek God. They had to allow the Spirit to show them, illumine their minds, and not just one person, but many. And so they had to press in to know the will of God. And the Spirit of God had been poured out on all of them, and so the Spirit of God would move through and speak through all of them. And so this is what they chose to do. If you would go to Acts 16, and I want us to do that right now. As you go to Acts 16, we see something very interesting in Paul's journeys. Now, I don't know how you view Paul as he is seeking God. Um, actually, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Acts 13. I want to point out one more thing before we go to Acts 16. Acts 13. Here's another opportunity for them to cast lots or do something like this for God's will to be absolutely clear, easy. Hey, guys, we need to make a decision. Want to make sure it's the right one. Let's just cast lots. But I'm going to suggest maybe God has changed how we are to seek him, not casting lots, not laying out fleeces as they did or uh, Urim and Thummim. And now we are completely reliant upon the Holy Spirit. As we look at Acts 13, just if you're at in Acts 16, just go back a few pages, just for a moment. It says right there that they were actually in a time of prayer and fasting. Verse 2, five leaders are mentioned in verse 1, and as these leaders gather together, they're in, they're in worship, they're fasting, and the Spirit of God says, set apart from me, set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Uh, there's so much here and I'm, and I'm, that we could look at, but I'm, I just want us to see this one thing. Here they are. They could have cast lots. They chose not to. They're seeking God. and But understand, God had already been speaking to Paul or Saul and Barnabas. He'd already been speaking to them. Said, apart from me, Saul and Barnabas, to the work I have called them to. They had probably been talking, Barnabas and he, talking about ministry. They had been in Antioch for a number of years now, and leaders had been added. It would be easy to turn the leadership over for them to do some ministry amongst the Gentiles. Paul had already received a prophetic word from Ananias that he would be going to the Gentiles, turning them from darkness to light, preaching the forgiveness of sins and peoples people would gentiles would be coming to christ this was the prophetic word that was given to him this was already something that burned in his heart and now finally a word comes out set apart for me paul and barnabas okay so god is moving in their midst but now they need to make a decision how do we go about these missionary journeys do we just have God speak to us through a dream, vision? Do we plan? I'm going to guarantee you that they did a lot of this, a lot of different things, strategizing. Turn with me now to Acts 16. I want us to see something here in Acts 16. Because Paul is now on his second missionary journey. He picks up 
Timothy in the beginning of the chapter, and he is now moving through if you have a map, you can see their journey, second, their second missionary journey as they're going through, um, Derby, Lystra, Pisidian, Antioch, and they're about to go into this area called Asia. Now we're not talking about far Asia, China, Korea, and that. We're talking about this little portion in present day Turkey in which you would find cities like Ephesus and Philadelphia and, and Laodicea and such. And, and here they are seek, moving. They're going to move into Asia. They apparently have this plan that they're going to go into Asia and begin preaching the gospel. Now, we do know that in the third missionary journey, that is what they do, and they go to Ephesus. But this is the second missionary journey. I'm, it, it seems very possible that they, Paul had this idea with Silas and Timothy, we're going to go to Ephesus. Guys, what an amazing opportunity. Because if we can establish a church there, it would be so easy for the gospel to spread like wildfire throughout this whole province. By the way, that is what happened in their third missionary journey. So here they are. They're coming up to the border of the province of Asia, and the Spirit of God tells them, I don't want you preaching the gospel there. Wait, wait. Back the, the, the truth trolley up here. God just told them not to preach the gospel in, in this area, in this province of Asia? Wait a second. God, this is a good thing. We're, we're really trying to spread your kingdom here, God, and you're telling us no to preach the gospel in Asia? That's right. I don't want you to do it. What does that immediately tell you? It tells you that number one, Saul or Paul, had missed God. His intention was to go into Asia. It was a marvelous plan, but it was the wrong time. And so he is course corrected. The Spirit of God, we don't know how this happens. Maybe it's through opposition. But God was in the opposition. Maybe it happened in prayer. Maybe a number of them as they were praying said, you know what, Paul? I, I'm just sensing as, as I've been praying that we're not supposed to go into Asia. We don't know how this happened, but the Spirit of God told them not to go into Asia and preach the gospel. So they head north, skirting along the border of Asia. They're going to go now into Bithynia. Okay, guys, here's the new plan. We're going to go, because this is what it said, their intention was to go into Bithynia. And they were going to, they were going to do that. You know what? I'm already telling you and I'm not reading it. I want to read it to you. Okay. So when, when verse seven, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. Why did they do this? Because they truly believed this is what God wanted them to do. But the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went to Troas. Now that is West. They're heading over West now. During the night in Troas, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What I want you to see here is not just a man of God, but men of God, several of them in this company, 
on a missionary journey trying to fulfill the great commission of making disciples of all nations, of extending the kingdom throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. This is their goal. They're doing what's right, but they're struggling. They're missing God, and but he course corrects. He's gracious as he's leading them. They're making plans. They're praying. They believe they're supposed to do one thing, but by the time they get there, nope, guys, I want you to go here. Can I just encourage you? There are times in which God brings you from point A to point B so that he can bring you to point C, and he doesn't take you from point A to point C. There are times in which and it feels like you were on a detour, but there was something in the process of bringing you to point A that he needed to do in your life. Years and years ago, I remember when my wife and I were praying, there was an opportunity for me to pastor a church in Albany, New York. I had just graduated from Regent University. We were really seeking the Lord. We had believed that we were to plant a church, but this opportunity came up. We, <laughs> we also believed that God may very well keep us in Virginia Beach, Virginia to co-pastor with a, a close friend of mine. So there were many options, and now this one comes up, an opportunity. I knew the gentleman that uh, was the pastor of this church. He was going to be moving on. They needed a pastor, so I went up there twice to preach, to sit down with uh, numerous small groups, leaders, non-leaders, talking with them, getting to know them, them getting to know me, and we laid it before the Lord. And it truly, church, it truly seemed as if God was opening that door. My wife had a check in her spirit because it was in Yankee land, just to be honest with you. She she wasn't sure if she really wanted to live up north, and especially with all the snow. I'm not uh, yeah. so anyway. But she was she was she was totally fine. Whatever God was going to do, and it seemed I'm going to church. It seemed as if God was opening the door. The meetings went great. The the times up there just seemed like God was opening the door. And then they had to get together to make a decision. And so their decision was for me not to come up as their pastor. And I just thought, wow, Lord, it, it just seemed like this is what you were doing. God had already shown us that we were to move out of the house that we were renting, that we were supposed to leave. It was back in 93. He showed that to us, both Meredith and I, uh, at the same evening, not even having talked to one another about it, we came together and we both sensed this is what God is showing us to do. And he confirmed that. We were both on the same page. And many other things about this story that I could share with you that God confirmed, you're supposed to move out. Finally, so I gave him the two-month notice, September, it's now November, and we're, we're moving out it, within a week. I find out the door in Albany is closed. Okay, then God, what do you want us to do? There's cities in which we had been praying about to plant a church in, and we were staying with her, uh, with her grandmother for one month, her parents for, uh, it was supposed to be for a month, it ended up being six or seven months. Um, but we, what happened was that God closed a door, but he forced us 
out of the nest, so to speak, in order to lead us down here. God, when he wants to lead you by his spirit, I'm going to tell you this. He will not, he will rarely make it simple. That's what we want. We want an easy answer. We want you, God, you know, I'm going to just pray right now and you're going to do this. And then I'm going to move on with the next project in my life. And God says, I need you here on your knees. And it's going to be more than once. And it's probably going to be more than 10 times. I want you to seek me. And church, I, I want us to realize as we now move into this New Testament era, There was something that Jonathan and David had in their spirit that even the New Testament Christians, we lose because we want things easy. Maybe it's because we're Americans and life in America is so much easier, it seems, than life in other countries. Whatever the reason is, God is trying to teach us to have that same heart, a heart after God, a heart that seeks God, that pursues God, that when things around you start looking tumultuous, you don't say, well, God, you're not answering me, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. Someone who seeks God over and over and over. Someone who's willing to fast, but not using fasting as a formula to twist the arm of God. Fasting, God gave us fasting more for us than him. God wants to change our heart. God wants us to go through this process and be impacted by this process of seeking God. You know, I I remember years and years ago. I I wanted I needed to construct a uh, a, a bunk bed. Jen uh, Rose, Sarah Joy, Aisha were living in one room. Uh, a bunk bed would suit them far better than what they had at the time. And so I put together a plan. Uh, you may some of you remember Bruno Silva before he. Um, got married and moved to uh, Mount Dora, but I had Bruno help me, and I laid out a plan. I showed him how it was going to work. This would be a great opportunity to mentor him. We we step by step process, very detailed and such. Now I could have just gone out and bought a bunk bed, but there was something about this process that I wanted this young man to experience. He had never used power tools to build something. He had never planned something like this. It was an opportunity to be able to mentor him. God wanted us to go through this process, and it was a long process, planning and building, and it was, it's, it was sturdy as a rock. And I want you to know, church, God, he wants you to learn how to enjoy this process of pressing into God and many times finding how hard it is. But in discovering how hard it is, what you'll also discover is how faithful God is and how God comes through and how God leads. God didn't just bring them to Asia and the border of Asia and say, psych, just kidding, I'm not in this at all, go back home. He was saying, I need you to learn how to press into me and seek me. When do you think Paul received that vision. Now, if you go through and check out visions that are given in the book of Acts, it's always in worship and in prayer. I can guarantee you, Paul was on his face seeking God, pressing in, 
Now for the third time, and God gave him clear direction. I want to ask you, as you are seeking God in your life right now, what are you seeking? What are you needing? What kind of direction are you wanting from him right now? God may give you direction right away, but what if he doesn't? Are you willing to press into him? Maybe it's something in your heart that needs to change, that you keep seeking him. Maybe it's a decision that needs to be made. Can I ask you this? Can you press into him over and over and over again? You see, the casting of lots, that's, that's the easiest way, right? It really is. But when you have to seek God and wrestle with him and keep pursuing him, that's when God begins to build this thing like faith in our hearts. That's when God begins to build this sense of, of trusting him no matter what. God is stepping into my life situation and I'm going to believe this no matter how hard this process is. God in the end, he will lead and he will, he will lead me to victory. Can you stand right now with me? Because some of us, that is exactly where we are at. And we have been waiting to hear from God, waiting for God to unfold a plan, waiting for God to do something in our life. And we have become weary. And I'm just going to encourage you, what God is wanting to do in your heart is produce this amazing faith, this heart after God like Jonathan and David. So can we just right now let God minister to our heart? Father, I ask you, Lord, that this struggle that we are going through, that your spirit would calm and settle our heart. We're wrestling, Father. Many of us, we're, we're, we're just not liking it. It's hard. We have questions, God. We're wondering why you didn't change this situation over here, why you closed this door over here. Father, if there's anger, would you remove that? If there's doubt, would you replace it with faith? Where there's discouragement, would you again remind us of how true and loving and faithful you are? You have good things in store for your people. As we go through this process, Lord, truly seeking to be led by your spirit. Would you give us that heart that David and Jonathan had? Would you give us that heart after you, God, that presses in no matter what, no matter how hard this process gets. So, Father, I just pray for strength for each of us, patience, faith, God, to continue to press in, hope, Remind us of truth. Use one another to speak those truths to each other and build us up to keep moving forward in this process because God, in the end, this is all that matters. This relationship with you and how we were able in some way to impact others. And so God, please, the promotion we're seeking, that's, a, that's in your hands, God. 
that opportunity over here, that, an open door, that's, that's in your hands, God. Today, I'm seeking you. And I believe that you will lead me. You'll lead me through the water. You'll lead me through the fire. You will lead me. And you will bring me out on the other end. Strong. Focused. Filled with faith. Whether by small number or large, God will gain the victory with that type of faith. So Father, I ask, would you please, right now, move in our hearts and do what only you can do. Lead us by your Spirit. Thank you, Father. And build in us that pursuit of God that never gives up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.